Good morning, and thank you for tuning in to Driven to the Cross radio broadcast as part of Christ Covenant Church here in McAllen, Texas. We are so glad that you are here with us today and that you are sharing 30 minutes of your time that we may gain a deeper understanding of our Lord and our Savior. As we continue our series, this rather lengthy series on the session of Christ, we're almost at the point where we are going to be getting beyond the foundational point and starting to get into some of the good stuff, but we have a a lesson or two left to go before we can get there. So just a little bait on the hook for you. I hope you've been blessed by this, and I hope you've been encouraged by it. But before we go any further, let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, Almighty God, we come before you in the name of Jesus the Christ, the risen Messiah, the one who died upon Calvary's tree to redeem our souls, paid the price to purge our sin. Father, we come to you in his name, having been adopted and grafted into that holy vine that we can enter into the Holy of Holies and petition your throne of grace. Father, we thank you for the scepter of righteousness that is the scepter of the kingdom of your only begotten Son. We thank you, Lord, that it is your righteousness imputed unto us that allows us to call upon the very name of Jesus. Father, we come before you. We ask that you would heal our land. We ask that you forgive our nation of the sins and turn the hearts of the people back to you. Lord, turn the hearts of our leaders to be hungry for you to follow after your righteousness, to proclaim your glory. We pray, Father, that you will awaken the churches across this great land. Give a fire and a pulpit once again for your holiness. May we proclaim your holy gospel. May we see your standard fly, O Lord, as we continue to seek your face, asking that you would heal our land, Asking, O God, that you will be proclaimed mightily. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we were in uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 1. And part of that, we saw that the scepter of the kingdom of God is righteousness. And today, I want to take us into Hebrews chapter 12 as we continue to see some of the paramount points of the writer of Hebrews in our walk with Christ, on who he is and what it is that we as believers are supposed to do. We've learned in this series that we are to serve one another. We are to serve in humility. We are to serve in the righteousness of God. We are to proclaim his gospel and not waver. We have seen that we are to be that faithful servant, doing all things to give the glory to God, and not for our own ambition, not for our own praise, not for our own accolade. And we have seen that we are to do so in the righteousness of God, because it is His name that we are uplifting. It is the righteousness of Christ, the very robe that He has placed upon us, that has called us into the servitude of our God. And we must remember that Christ gave the direction 
to his disciples that we would follow them and build the kingdom. And so as we go into Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to think about the things we've covered. I want you to contemplate the the words that we have received and the verses of Scripture. I want you to have those things marinating in your soul. My hope is that as we see devastation across this land, as we I'm not hoping for the devastation, but as we are seeing it unfold before us with the riots and the civil unrest and the disrespect for the civil magistrates, for those who are helping to keep law and order, and a total disregard for the law of the land, that the Christian would stand up and do so in a righteous and holy manner, upholding the very nature of God. And so we must debreed ourselves of things that are secular. We must have that distinguishing mark of God upon us so that as we walk in righteousness, as we walk out by faith, the very things that He's called us to and going forward, that there would be no mistaking that we are bought by the blood of the Lamb, that Jesus the Christ paid the price upon Calvary's tree for the remission of our sins. And as we look at chapter 12, I want you to recognize something that is important in here, and that is that Christ himself is an inspiring example. And one of the things that is made known in chapter 12 is It's an exhortation for us to have faith and to live in godliness. And so let me begin here in verse 1 of chapter 12. And it reads as follows. Wherefore, seeing seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. My friends, in our walk, in our endeavor to follow after Christ and to be that example, we are going to find that there are hindrances in our lives. We are going to find that there are things that attempt to hold us back, to cause us to stumble and fall. But remember, that thing where it says we are set about with that so many witnesses, my friends, I want you to take hope in something. That there are countless people who have gone before. Countless generations of people who have gone before us that are have died in the faith of Christ and have gone to be with our Lord and Savior. And what he is calling for here is to have that reminder that there are people who have gone before you, who have labored, who have sweated, who have bled, who have died. And now you have your contemporary. You have those in your church body. You have those who are friends who know that you have professed to be a Christian. And it says here that we are to lay aside every weight. 
and the sin which does so easily beset us. My friends, this is called a sanctified life. This is a life that is set apart. We are to lay aside the very things that will drag us down and draw us away from Christ. What we are to do is to live a holy and righteous life after the manner of our Lord and Savior. We are not to be mired down, identified in the sin camp. We are not to be brought about with all the things of sensual nature. We are to lay aside all those things that cause us to stumble, all those sins that are according to Holy Scripture, and run the race that is set before us. What is that race? That race, my friends, is very simply the walk of life. We are to walk as a redeemed individual, not compromising what it is that we do. We are not to compromise the standard of Christ because it is a standard that was given to us. We cannot attain the very righteousness of Christ upon our own volition, of our own ability, of our own will. It has to be imputed to us. We cannot fulfill the law of God. We have the grace of God. Aren't you glad that we are not bound to sin and death, that we have been redeemed? Now listen listen to what it says. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. My friends, that perseverance, that's the patience. You see, you have to strive and endeavor to walk the walk of a Christian. Through the trials and the tribulations that come before you, knowing that the things that beset you, that come against you, are overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Remember, we also covered back in Romans that all these trials and these tribulations are given that we would be conformed into the image of Christ. Well, my friends... We live in a very fast-paced society where everything is instantaneous. We live in a society that if I want it now, I can go get it now. I don't have to wait. And my friends, we are a people of very little patience, and so we often struggle with the smallest things of faith. The Bible says those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up with wings as eagles. Do you understand what that is? That waiting is also servitude. It's the patience. It's the endeavor to walk and have the strength of Christ carry you through. And now look at verse 2. It tells us something that is very important because if you'll notice, in the end of verse 1, it doesn't end with a period. There's a comma. And this comma, as you know, is a continuing thought. It's not the end of a thought. And so look at verse 2, and then I'm going to read those to you together. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, let me read to you verses 1 and 2 together so that you can get the complete thought in this. I don't want you to try and separate this because grammatically it's not to be separated. Wherefore, 
seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, my friends, do you see how God works? We are not to look at ourselves. In this time of trial and trouble, in the time in our lives when we are being refined, in the time of our lives where we are being molded and our character is being displayed, what we see here is that we are to look unto Jesus Christ. We are to look to the one who paid the penalty of our sin. We are to look to Him that we can march forward in the assurance of the one who finished the work. Now, my friends, that should be encouraging to you, especially, especially as you press into Christ, as you press in deeper in your relationship and understanding of Holy Scripture, this encouragement alone should be one that should cause you to shout it from the rooftops that when God gave us a work to do, He did not leave it to our own desire. He left us the example of His Son. He showed us what we are to do. And when he gave the instruction to his apostles and to his disciples, he did not leave them without hope or guidance. It says here to look unto, looking unto Jesus. And I like that, that looking because that's an active ongoing. My friends, as we are walking, we should always be looking, actively engaged in looking unto Christ. That will help you in your walk. That will help you in your mission as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. That will help you to be actively engaged, always looking, always considering Christ, always considering the work that He did. Now look at verse 3. For consider Him that endures such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. What is this? That is telling us. That is telling us that we are to look and consider the very suffering of our Lord and our Savior and recognize that He paid the price, that we are able to get through these trials and these tribulations that are placed before us, because when we do and we give God the glory, we are conformed more into the image of our risen Savior. Now, if that doesn't give you hope, because it, I want, did you happen to know here, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds, lest, in other words, unless, unless to prevent, to keep you from doing things of your own strength and of your own might. Don't weary yourself with how are you going to get through it. This is where you ask God to bring you through it because He has brought you to it. That should give you some hope right there. That should give you some strength to say, 
If my God has brought me to it, he will bring me through it. May he be glorified in all of it. Now, verse 4. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. Now, before I go on and finish that verse, here's where this applies. I want you to think back into your life. And everyone's experience is going to be a little bit different. But I want you to think back on something. When you have had a trial, a tribulation, trouble, turmoil, you were having a bad day, you were having a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, and everything seemed to be going against you. Where did you turn? Did you rejoice in the fact that God is still at your side? Or did you grumble and did you complain and get mired down into your own self? Remember, it says you have yet to resist unto blood. You haven't died. You haven't had to stand up and give your life for Jesus Christ. You have not had to sacrifice your limbs, your life. You have not had to be scourged, threatened with being beheaded, beaten, threatened to be hung upon a cross. You have not had to resist the things of the world to that point. But listen, listen. And then it says you have forgotten the exhortation. How often, my friends, do we forget the teachings when trials and troubles beset us. How often do we? Far too often. And I say that the reason that we do that is very simple. For many people, Christianity is a label. For many people, Christianity is an intellectual exercise. For many people, it's not the life-changing experience. It's not the change of the condition of your soul. You see, this is what this is talking about. When we forget the exhortation, which speaketh unto you as unto children. Now listen to what it says further. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. The Bible tells us, my friends, that he, re he chastens those whom he loves. And why is that? Well, just like with a child, a child often has to be corrected. A child has to be shown what is right and what is wrong. And even as adults, we have to be rebuked and chastened because we must remember that there are right and there is wrong, that there is the proper way to do things. It's not just because I want to that I can have my own way. God is not a lawless God. God is a God of law, a God of order, a God of righteousness and holiness. And through that, His love is made known because He does not desire that we would stray. We must be chastened from time to time. And how is that done? That is done when we read Scripture and when we pray and the Lord gives us conviction upon our heart of things that are contrary to Him that we would confess and turn away from it. 
Well, that's called repentance. For far too long, we get coddled. We get told that it's okay to go and do your own thing because what is right for you? What is your own standard? Well, if it's true for you, doesn't mean it's true for someone else. Well, last time I checked, true is true, and falsehood is falsehood. The Bible tells us we are to let our yes be yes and our no be no. There's not to be a confusion. If you are confused about which bathroom to use, well, what you need to do is look in your pants, and you'll know. My friends, God is not a God of confusion, but that of a God of holiness and righteousness. Look at what it says. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with son. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye are without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. But shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For verily, for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. There it is, my friends. There is the purpose. Remember, we are being conformed into the image of Christ. <clears throat> and he chastises us to remove, to keep us from the things which soil our righteous garment. You see, when we are submitted and subjected unto the authority of a righteous God, it is so that we can partake, receive the gift of His holiness, that we can receive the blessing of the holiness of God. Here is part of the issue. For many people, they've had very poor experiences as children. Some have been abused. Some have been molested. Some have been had to go through unimaginable things. And when they do, they become jaded. And when they do, they have a tendency to view God as they view their earthly father. But you notice how it said there that some of them chastened them for their own enjoyment. Well, that's a carnal thing. That's a, that is not a godly thing. Because it says there that he chastens us, that we, that we, let me say it again, that we would receive and be partakers of his holiness. And then, just a few sentences up there, there's something even more special. That we would be called the sons of God. Because if we are never corrected by the word of God, then we are not the children of God. Why? Because we have not been brought in and adopted. We are outside the fold. We have not received the blessing of the Father. That's what that word, that's why there's a separation there between the, 
sons, and uh, the word bastard. That word <coughs> is one that takes out, uh, signifies a child that is born out of wedlock, has no blessing or covering from the family. They're not part of the fold. They don't have the benefit of the family. They don't have the benefit of the protection of the father. Now, my friends, we must remember, as Christians, we are to follow after a righteous and holy God. We must be conformed in His righteousness. And why is this so? Because we are bought by the blood of the Lamb. We have received forgiveness of our sins. And with that, we have been brought into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, that requires something of us. That requires obedience and recognition that we are submitted to the cross and authority of Christ. We are submitted to the calling of a righteous God. Look at what it says here in verse 11. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knee, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. How beautiful that is. We are to go from being that broken, feeble, sick individual in sin and lift up our hands, straighten ourselves up, strengthen our knees, and rejoice. We are to do these things that we may see the Lord. Make straight the path. And what that represents, my friends, is something very, very special. If we are to make straight the path, that means that we're not going to get lost. That means that it is a clear road to the cross of Calvary and a clear, clear road that we are to follow for the glory of God. Now, my friends, I want to invite you to check out our website, ChristCovenantMcAllen.org. I'd like to also invite you to like our Facebook page. You can send us messages. You can send us emails. You can contact us. And you can give there. We have an apps on there that you can make a donation to this ministry that we can continue to spread the gospel throughout the valley and around the world. Our hope is that you would consider contacting us and supporting us, that we would continue to be a light in these times. And we'd love to hear from you. So send us an email. Send us a message on Facebook. And we will do our best to get back to you in a very timely manner. We ask that you would consider to get to know us. We invite you to do so. We're located at 1320 West Nolana Avenue here in McAllen, Texas. Come check us out, www.ChristCovenantMcAllen.org. Thank you for listening to the Driven to the Cross broadcast as part of Christ's Covenant. May God bless you, may He keep you, and may His light shine upon you.